In reality television, the people are represented by two separate but equally obsessed attorneys. This is their podcast. Hi, I'm Ceci. And I'm Angela. And this is the Bravo Docket. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. In reality television, the people are represented by two separate but equally obsessed attorneys. This is their podcast. Hi, I'm Ceci. And I'm Angela. And this is the Bravo Docket. So welcome back everyone to the Bravo Docket. Unfortunately, we had a little bit of audio issues and I had to cut out this really amazing conversation we had about the microaggressions that Tiffany Moon has faced on her season of Real Housewives of Dallas and now following the reunion. And we even had an important discussion about some issues Chart had, Chart being Cameron Westcott's brother-in-law when he applied for the bar. We've posted about this on our Instagram, so we encourage you to follow us there. And I'm so so sorry that this conversation didn't make it into the podcast. It was really important. We don't want to stand by and act like this isn't something that we're talking about. We are definitely talking about it. We are totally on Tiffany Moon's side in this, and it's just a terrible thing that has happened in the Bravo universe. With that being said, I'm going to flip it over to Angela and um, have her explain what this episode is about. So this episode, we actually got a question from a fan wanting to know like what the details were with Big Frank and his disbarment. And when I went back and looked that up, because I got actually kind of really interested in it and did a deep dive on it, um, and I thought it would be useful to go through and talk about Big Frank's disciplinary proceedings, because that's an example of a state bar working exactly the way it's supposed to. And then Ceci's going to contrast that with the corruption in the California state bar and Tom Girardi and talk about like what's going on with him like now like any kind of the recent developments and also like a little recap but it's kind of I feel like by talking about Big Frank and how that worked people can see this okay this process does work the way it's supposed to and here's why also most attorneys are just terrified of even making a tiny mistake. So, Ceci, do you want to give like a little bit of a mini recap on what's going on with Tom Girardi like was we did a whole part one episode on the Girardis and then 
this is kind of a little bit of a follow-up episode because we're going to explain and show how disciplinary proceedings in state bars should work and then use Big Frank's stuff as an example. What happened there is that Tom has been sued actually multiple times for allegations of stealing client funds, specifically settlement funds on class action lawsuits. He had multiple lawsuits filed against him in the state of California, but it wasn't until an entity filed against him in Chicago that anyone paid kind of any mind to this. That proceeding is stayed right now because he also filed for bankruptcy. He filed for bankruptcy, his law firm filed for bankruptcy, and those proceedings are ongoing now. They're investigating Erica's funds now as part of the bankruptcy proceedings. Mm -hmm. The trustee there, a trustee in a bankruptcy proceeding is essentially like the advocate of the person file or the entity filing for bankruptcy. And so they're trying to go after Erica's assets to pay back people on behalf of Tom in those bankruptcy proceedings. Right. So that's a whole thing. There's just a lot. There's a lot going on. But so... That's where we are with that. Yeah. Okay. So every state bar has an office of, and sometimes they have slightly different names, but essentially it's an office of attorney ethics and they act as, um, so it's kind of like how doctors have a board that investigates complaints against doctors in a lot of states. Attorneys have a board, but attorneys, like I would say our legal ethics and professionalism boards in the various states that we practice in have a lot of teeth. Um, and so, and they, they seem to actually also be, in my opinion, leaving California out and what's going on there, be very fair. Like they really want to understand what happened. If an attorney is making mistakes because they're going through like drug and alcohol problems, they really will like help the attorney get help for that and allow reinstatement of a bar license once it's shown that you've done rehab, things like that. So like it. I feel like they go out of their way to, in most states, one, protect the people of that state from Mm -hmm. attorneys that are (laughs) doing things that are wrong, but then also to work with attorneys to see like, okay, do you need help? Do you, or are you just being bad? One of the worst things you can do, and you'll see from this, is be less than honest with them when they're asking you questions. Going into Jersey. So I don't know anything about the OC. That's the only season I haven't watched. And Ceci isn't caught up on Jersey, but Jersey's kind of one of my faves. And just at the start of this, I just want to say I stand Big Frank. I like him. He's an affable guy. Like I am not doing any of this to like pick on Big Frank. And I think once people get all, hear all the details of this, you're probably, you know, you're going to like Big Frank too, but he did make some mistakes, but it's, they're very human, normal, I think, not necessarily normal, but they're very human mistakes. And so it's not like what Tom did, but <laughs> Big Frank is currently disbarred and currently Tom is not disbarred yet. So, so Big Frank, I guess for people who don't know so well, is uh, Dolores Quintana's uh, ex-husband and the guys on Jersey are almost like more popular than a lot of the women on the show. People love them. And Big Frank and Dolores were married. Frank admits that he cheated on Dolores and could not be the kind of husband that she needed. But Frank is also certainly like he has a super big heart on the show. Like he clearly very much loves her, but he's like, yeah, I'm kind of a douche. Like I, I can't, I can't like keep it together and you deserve better than me. All right. So Big Frank was admitted to the bar in New Jersey in 1991, and he had his own law firm with a partner, 
and it was like Contian and Elbridge. Um, real estate transactions were a big part of Big Frank's law practice. Ceci, have you done any real estate law or anything? When I first graduated from undergrad, I worked at a law firm that did some real estate deals, but you know, I wasn't a lawyer yet, so... My role was very minor. Real estate law is exhausting. I have never practiced it. And there's so many, I mean, just but anybody that's bought a house or is trying to buy a house or is selling a house, like there are so many things that go on in real estate law that just like have to be done. And there are all mm-hmm. these little contracts and little deals and it's tedious. It's so yeah. tedious and it, ha- yeah. it all has to be done exactly right. I mean, I honestly don't know how people do it. Like I am an attorney. I've been practicing law for 10 years and buying our house was one of the most frustrating, irritating, (laughs) document intensive things that I have ever dealt with. And I was so exhausted by the end of it. My husband actually found discrepancy in one of the contracts that was big that I even missed because I was just, my eyes were even, I'm like, this is what I do for a living and I'm exhausted. But anyway, all right. So in 2010, Big Frank represented clients who were purchasing a Tom's River waterfront home. And I'm not familiar with New Jersey at all. So I had to look them up. And these places are fancy. Like think like super upscale Jersey shore. These places look like if on the most recent season of real houses of New Jersey, you've seen like the shore houses that they have. They're really nice homes, like right on the water. So when I was Googling this, I guess apparently Snooki bought an $800,000 home in the Silverton section of Tom's river, which is kind of by where this is. So they are. Yeah. Well, but, but just to note, like Jersey shore, it has very, yeah. When I originally heard of Jersey Shore, I thought like Jersey Shore, MTV, Jersey yeah. Shore. Yeah. But it's different. It like, is different. It, yeah. There are really nice parts of the Jersey Shore. Super, super fancy. Yeah. So to make it even more complicated, Big Frank's clients were purchasing the Jersey, and we're saying Jersey Shore, but Ceci's right. Like this is like the fancy, fancy, this isn't like trashy. It's not MTV <laughs> Jersey Shore. No, this is multi-million dollar homes. Um but they were purchasing a Jersey Shore waterfront home from the estate of a woman who had passed away. So not only are you dealing with property rights um, and then property law, but you're dealing with probate. And like it, like so they had to purchase this from the estate. Um, mm-hmm. But before the estate could sell the home, it had to get a riparian grant from the state of New Jersey. That was not a thing I had heard of before. And it, like so that's just obviously that's another annoying thing you have to do. But so this estate of this woman who's deceased is trying to sell this house. And the state of New Jersey says you need a riparian grant. Uh, Riparian means of or pertaining to riverbanks. And a riparian zone is like the interface between the land and a river or stream. And then under riparian law, which I hope I'm saying that right. It sounds like I am. I think you are. I remember learning about this in property law. I hated property law in law school. And I feel like when they were talking about this, like my eyes probably just glazed over and I just wanted to like... I just wanted to die. Yeah. But yeah, it's like air rights. (laughs) Yeah. Like you have air rights above your house and then land rights beneath your home. Yeah. So under riparian law, water is a public good like air, sunlight, or wildlife. It's not owned by the government, a state, or private individual, but is included as part of the land over which it falls from the sky and then travels along the surface. Like they almost make it sound like poetic when they're talking about it. But I, I know I want to do like everything up and down. Yeah. So in, and around. 
in determining the contours of riparian rights, there is a clear distinction between navigable public waters and non-navigable waters. The land below navigable waters is the property of the state. So if you can take your boat over it, that's the property of the state. And that's subject to all public land laws and most public trust rights. Navigable waters are treated as public highways with any exclusive riparian right ending at the ordinary high water mark. It's like, whoa, this is a lot of stuff. <laughs> like, just to sell So it's like... A freeway. Yeah, but it's like, so, yeah, so it's like you've got, um, you know, you have to abide by, like, the boat, the boating laws or transportation laws or whatever that the state has. Anyway, this is all to explain that a riparian grant is the means by which the state conveys, so in this case, New Jersey, conveys to a private entity real estate grounds underwater or previously flowed as underwater. So this house, this fancy house that Big Frank's clients were buying is like right on the edge of the water. So it has a dock and it's got water flowing under and around it. So they have to get this grant from this governmental agency in New Jersey. Um, so they had to go to the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection's Bureau of Tidelands Management to agree to issue a riparian grant, which of course the government is like, fine, we'll do it, but you're going to have to pay us. So that, to get that, it's $183,191. Just, just so you have this document that's attached to your property that says that you have those rights around the water, which are like super even limited, by the way. So it's like basically it's like a cash grab by the government as far as I'm Do you concerned. need to have that, though? If you like, want to sell the land, it? if you want to if yeah. so the state can't sell it because you... So, you know, when you're like buying or selling a house, like you have to like have like title and you have to have title insurance. And it's like another anybody that's bought or sold a house or any piece of property, like real property, it's like super annoying. And you have to pay like to get a survey and like all of this stuff. Like, so if you, if they had tried to transfer like the ownership of this house without this riparian grant, then they would have had like a lien on it by the government. And like it would have, like the sale wouldn't have gone through. So it was like a whole thing. So yeah, okay. they had, they have to have it. Or else they do not so, yeah. have... So, yes, they have to have it. So, pr probably these fancy people know that they have to have it and, like, build it into the cost of the house. Yeah. Well, so... It's, people like me, I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. That's a lot of money. <laughs> that's... I mean, that's so much money. I mean, that's $183,000. That's a lot of money. It is a money grab, but I'm sorry it is. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It is. And then in addition to that, just to add insult to injury, the state of New Jersey also wants a $700 processing fee. This is a super obnoxious process. It's just added to the super obnoxious process of buying a house. But Big Frank is like, hey, I am real estate lawyer. We're working on this, whatever. So the New Jersey Tidelands Management tells the seller's agent that the grant is approved. So they have it in paper and on writing. The grant is approved and what the, you know, that it's going to cost $183,000. And then the seller's agent, so the seller, like the estate, the agent for the estate uh, pays the processing fee on September 1st, 2009. Okay. So like the government says we've approved this September 1st, 2009. Remember that date. <laughs> this takes a long time. So September 12th, the estate signs the contract. So they sign the sale contract agreeing to sell the shore house to Big Frank's clients, and Big Frank contacts a title agency to get title insurance for his clients. Again, all standard stuff that you have to do. But 
just in case anyone's wondering, what is title insurance? So when a property is financed, bought or sold, a record of that transaction is generally filed in public archives. Like you can look that up, it's public record. Likewise, records of other things that might affect the ownership of property like liens or levies are also archived. When you buy title insurance for your property, a title company searches these records to find and remedy, if possible, any like ownership issues. So first, the title company searches public records to determine the property's ownership status. After the search, an underwriter will be determine like the insurability of the title. But even the most like skilled title professionals may not find like the problems with the property, and there can be risks and errors, like undisclosed errors, things that are difficult to identify. So after the title company like finishes its search, certifies its search, it provides a title insurance policy that will help protect you from issues that might be uncovered later. And if you take out a mortgage, which most of us have to do, because we don't just have like, you know, a couple million in cash to throw down on a sure property, <laughs> then the lender will require a loan policy of the title insurance. So it, it protects the lender's interest in your property until your loan is paid off or refinanced. And then the owner's policy of title insurance ensures your ownership rights to the property. So, and it lasts for as long as you own the home. So that's, the thing is one of just the annoying things you do when you buy a house. Yeah, it's important stuff. So big Frank's clients are buying a shore house and to have clear title to the shore house, they need the water grant from New Jersey. But big surprise, the agency that had already agreed to issue the grant didn't get it done by the closing date. Again, buying a house is super annoying. So the, they, the government agency is like, yeah, we're going to grant this. And then they pay them the $700 processing fee, but then they don't get it done by closing time. And so the $181,000 to pay the water grant was supposed to be paid, unsurprisingly, out of the closing funds, just like you said. So Big Frank's clients, the buyers, and the short house sellers agreed to put the water grant money in escrow to secure payment for the New Jersey government whenever it finally got done issuing the water grant. For whatever reason, the title company wanted 190 in escrow, so that's what they did. So they take 190 out of like the sale, like the, the banks like here, whatever like loan they were giving them, and they put that in escrow. Now, I'm gonna explain what escrow is. So please stay with us, I promise this is interesting. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm learning a lot about buying a house. I've never done it, so I'm, I'm all here for this. Okay, yeah, I'm just like, I know this is getting like wonky, but like it's interesting. So, no. An escrow account I'm with you. Okay, is designed to hold funds temporarily in safekeeping. The escrow provider is a it is always should be and has to be a disinterested third party who doesn't care who ultimately gets the money from the account. So for example, in a real estate transaction, an escrow account does not favor the buyer or seller. They just follow the rules that the buyer or seller agree to. Like we had to do that in our house because they hadn't finished some stuff. And like it, it's pretty normal for this stuff to happen. And they can help facilitate almost any kind of transaction just by involving a third party to keep the funds for safekeeping. Both sides can feel confident that everyone's going to follow through with what needs to be done. It's kind of just like a temporary secure bank account. Yeah, right? that's that that you tell both parties like right in the contract what the rules are for where this money's going to be kept and then that the escrow company just keeps it and follows the rules that have been agreed to. And that's, you know, really common. So basically the bank giving out the loan isn't going to risk its title to the property and hand over $190,000 on a wing and a prayer. So the escrow solved that problem. Okay, now we're into January of 2010. <laughs> So on the day Wait, of the January, January 2010, so, so January 25th, 2010, well, wait, 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 wait. So the, the prior, the last date that you said was September 12th, 2009, when the estate signed the contract. Mm -hmm. All right. So now it's January 25th. All right. So we're, we're a few months 
after. Yes. January 25th, 2010, Wells Fargo Bank wired $287,212.83 to Big Frank's trust account. If you listen to Ceci and I's episode one about the Girardis, we talked a lot about trust accounts and how that's one of the ways that you're supposed to like protect clients when attorneys are handling client funds and how you can't commingle those funds. I mean, I talked about how I was so nervous about when I had my own law firm, I was so nervous about like even like the bank making mistake that I had my trust account at an entirely separate like bank than <laughs> from our operating account just to make sure yeah. that we didn't even just grab the wrong checkbook one day or something, you know? So kind of like, I mean, it can be kind of compared maybe to an escrow account. Yeah. So like, it's like... You have a fiduciary duty to your clients to not commingle funds or to not use funds in that trust account for anything other than the client. It's like you are holding money in safe keeping. Mm-hmm. And again, we talk a lot about that in our part one Girardi episodes. Sorry, my, my cats are like <laughs> running around back there. So if you hear like, if it sounds like there's like trolls or gremlins in my house, it's the cats. So January 25th, 2010, Wells Fargo wires the almost $300,000 to Big Frank's trust account. Big Frank credited the transfer to his Shorehouse buyer client's ledger. So that's another thing. When you have a trust account and you're an attorney and you're supposed to be keeping funds, you have like, there are very specific rules for how you do the accounting and how you mark it down. And if like there's ever an issue, the disciplinary like people with like the state bar associations and the ethics committee, they will ask for copies of your ledger. So it's really specific what you have to do and how you account for it. So then Big Frank disperses the monies in accordance with the document that lists all the charges and credits to the buyer and seller. It's called a HUD-1 in like a real estate settlement. So it's like, okay, I got the money was wired to my trust account. Then this much goes to pay, you know, like to the mortgage or whatever, like this much goes here, this much goes to the title company. And so he just distributes all that. And like, that's normal and common. Like even like when I bought my house, it wasn't an $800,000 shore house, but it was, we had a bunch of money in different funds. So Big Frank disperses the money and then $190,000 remains in Big Frank's trust account. Okay. So the money sat in Big Frank's trust account undisturbed until December 21st, 2010, 11 months after the closing, when Big Frank issued a $15,000 trust account check to Catino Fitness Corp. So this money is not in escrow right now. So this $190,000, it's sitting in Big Frank's trust account, and it's sitting there because the government hasn't gotten done with the riparian grant yet. So you can't pay the government for the riparian grant until they get it done, and they haven't gotten it done because it's a government agency and it's slow. <laughs> and it's been so like that's a full year. So for almost a full year, just this 190 case sits in Big Frank's trust account. So they agreed to do that, but it's just. It's in, it's just, and it sits in Big Frank's trust account undisturbed for a year. So January 25th. Because that $190,000 was supposed to be for the water grant. Yes, that's supposed to be for the water grant. And it just, it's just sitting in Big Frank. So Big Frank hasn't messed with it. So January, February, March, April, May, just like that entire year, that 190 sits there undisturbed. And that's, mm-hmm. no one's disputing that. Like it's, Frank wasn't writing checks out to form it. It wasn't like he wasn't stealing it. Like it was just there. But then... December 21st, 2010, 11 months after the closing, Big Frank issues a $15,000 trust account check to Catino Fitness. The memo line contained a notation with Big Frank's Shorehouse buyer's names on it as a contribution. And Big Frank recorded the disbursement on the client ledger card. That's part of the trust accounting that you have to do. 
Okay, so Catino Fitness was a business owned by Big Frank and Anthony Rotino and had no connection to the Shorehouse real estate transaction. The purpose of the $15,000 disbursement was to cover the gym's payroll. Now, some of you might remember a storyline for Dolores on one of the seasons was Dolores owning a gym under the brand Powerhouse Fitness Centers. Anthony Rotino owns a powerhouse fitness center that was shut down in 2020 for continuing to operate despite pandemic orders. And I, I kind of like went down a rabbit hole in Anthony Rotino and he's like into politics and stuff. And that might've been part of Big Frank's problem. Not going to lie. I think maybe Rotino maybe pissed some people off in New Jersey. So, okay. So at this point, there is still $175,000 in Big Frank's trust account, but Big Frank needed another 10K before the end of the year to pay legal fees for a Harley Davidson dealership that Big Frank owned with Rotino. So about two weeks later on December 20th, 2010, Big Frank takes another 10K out of the trust account to pay for legal fees. But the fees had nothing to do with the real estate transaction and everything to do with whatever he needed for that Harley Davidson business owned by Big Frank and Anthony Rotino. So now the escrow account, it's supposed to be the escrow account, but it's Big Frank's trust account. So now the trust account is at 165K. And then finally, over a year later, like well over a year after the New Jersey government agreed to grant the riparian grant, it finalizes it. It finalizes it. So finally, it's like, and it was probably just like a fucking piece of paper that <laughs> took the government like, you know, that long to do. So the government finalizes the water grant and it once is $183,000. So Big Frank writes a $183,000 check, which clears because at that point, he had additional money in his trust account from the purchase of a home for another client. So like that's... Well, okay, <laughs> then that to me, it kind of feels a little Tom-ish. Uh, like, like he's using yeah. funds from another client to pay for a transaction for another client. This is like a little tiny, little itty bitty microcosm of like what Tom was doing on like a huge scale level, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, like I mentioned before, just because Tom was, would like take settlements and then use a prior settlement to pay out those who were owed the settlement. I just use settlement to any time, so I don't know, <laughs> that wasn't clear. But he was essentially like, borrowing funds from other settlements to pay for settlements that he owed. And that kind of feels similar to what Big Frank is doing here. Of course, it's only a couple transactions, whereas Tom is alleged to have done it with on a huge scale. Yeah. But they're still the same. It's the same. It's tinge just, of No, no, no. Not even wrongdoing. tinge. Like this is not. Yeah. Yeah. It's it a, is wrongdoing. Legally, yeah. this would be conversion, right? You're taking something that's in your possession that you're not supposed to use and then converting it to your own use so mm -hmm. okay the new the new jersey government finalized the water grant once it's one hundred eighty-three thousand dollars. big frank writes one hundred eighty-three thousand dollar check and then like we said that clears because at that point he had additional money in the trust account from the purchase of a home for another client so like like sessie said this is like ponzi scheme shale game stuff but it's like it's not it's like twenty five thousand dollars total compared to the millions and millions and millions and millions that Girardi did. And what it sounded like Girardi did was he would spend all of the money and then just replace it with another settlement that he got or a loan from one of those like law firm lenders or whatever. So on March 1, 2011, the trust account balance was $182,082.86. On March 2nd, the same day that the trust account check was negotiated. Like, so that it's cleared 
the $183,191 for the water grant goes through. This makes it even more confusing because like the bank had like a coding error and like charged a little bit too much and so then had to credit back like $19,500. So the $183,191 trust account check cleared the account, leaving a $16,441.86 closing balance on that date. Okay, here's why this is like kind of important and gives Frank a little bit more of like some arguing room. So Big Frank finally repaid the $50,000 deposit on April 2011 as repayment of the $15,000 loan he had taken in December 2010. So this then all, this is 2011, 2010, all the way in November of 2017, that's when the review board files its decision on Big Frank with the Supreme Court of New Jersey, um, recommending that he be disbarred. And the reason why they like ended up looking into it was because they did a, um, a random audit, which is another thing that like state bar associations, many of them do, many of them are supposed to do. They literally do uh, random audits where they just send you a thing and they ask to look through your trust account. Um, and they want to see your records. So Big Frank had a random audit occur of his trust account. And so he sent in these transactions. Now, he had ended up paying back everything. And then there was like the weird error that the bank made, complicated things like further that wasn't his fault. But when the disciplinary review board started asking him for details on these transactions, they got some answers that they didn't really like. Like he said he just made a mistake. But then when he's, he's like, oh, yeah, I made a mistake. And so that's why I wrote out like this check. And then she's like, but you on the ledger, it says that this is for this, you know, this is a contribution from this, this loan. And she's like, and it, it doesn't, it only has like the names of your clients on there. And so they ended up the disciplinary review board over this $25,000 total possible conversion issue, which again, note, this is not something he was supposed to do is completely against the rules. It shows like a lack of really good faith in like him holding the client funds for what he was supposed to. It is it is the thing that they tell you from day one in law school to not do. And mm-hmm. like from day one in law school, they're like, do not commingle funds. Do not borrow from attorney, like your trust account. Do not, like that thing is sacred. Don't touch it. That will get you disbarred quicker than ever. Okay. So like yeah. they started asking Big Frank questions when they noticed some of these notations and they're like, well, do you have anything in writing from your clients, the buyers of the shore house? Do you have anything in writing from them saying that you were allowed to do this? And Big Frank said he had a contract and then couldn't find it. And then there were emails that were produced where Big Frank is writing his shore house uh, buyer clients and saying, Hey, I know you said it was okay for me to take this money out of the trust account could you find that contract that I wrote you? Like, and no one could mm. find the contract. And the, the the disciplinary people started to get more suspicious. And they're like, well, why was this other check written out of here? And and at first, Big Frank tried For to say- For the Harley? Yeah. At first, Big Frank tried to say, oh, well, I, um, that's the bank's fault. The bank made a mistake when they like credited this back. And they're like, well, that doesn't make sense that, but like, why are you right? Like, so, and like Big Frank was not giving them straight answers. And they went so far as to depose the clients, like take their depositions under oath about whether or not there was a contract and the disciplinary people, like they seemed very uncomfortable. And it just, anyway, the disciplinary board found that like Frank had intentionally converted funds and that even though he had paid them back, the fact that he hadn't been totally honest about what he was doing and why, and that they didn't think he'd been totally honest with the clients about it, that they, they disbarred him. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So, like, November 17, 2017, like, years after this, even though no one was actually, in reality, like, harmed, all the transactions went through, all of the money got paid back, um, and it, there was really only these couple instances that the review board found, Big Frank does not have his law license and was disbarred permanently in the state of New Jersey because you cannot do these things. Well, do you think if he would have been honest, they would not have disbarred him? I think that was a big part of it. I think um, just reading like the very long opinion that was written um, from the Supreme Court of New Jersey, because like, they, they are the ones that like the Supreme Court actually is the one that like issues these disbarment opinions. Um, mm -hmm. I think that the fact that he wasn't forthcoming, he said at first that it, it was he didn't do it on purpose. And then he was like, oh, no, I did. I made a mistake. And then he's like, the bank made a mistake. And then he couldn't find Like He said there was a written contract, but then he couldn't find it. Yeah, I, I think that there just... was just a, he I think if he had been entirely forthcoming and said, I did not have enough money to do payroll at my gym and I knew it was wrong and I did it and I will never do it again. I think maybe they would have just mm -hmm. um, if you would have been 100 percent forthcoming. And that's also what they tell you when you. Are like because as attorneys we have to do ethics. Uh, we have to take a certain number of ethics hours every year, and like the ethics review people will come and like even just talk to you. And that's one of the things they say. They're like, if you mess up, you need to self-report and tell us right away. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that like, yeah, you have to like take the MPRE, which is like an right. ethics test. Like even when you file to become an attorney, you have to like disclose any like prior. Yeah. Like, I had to disclose that I was fired from Starbucks when I was 18. Like, stuff like that. Just, like, a total mistake. But, like, you know, you just have to disclose everything. And it's just better to disclose it. I was like, they're never going to find out I was fired from a Starbucks. But right. it didn't matter. You know, they'd rather 
they were like, this is stupid. But like, you know, they'd rather you be honest. And so like, for example, they, um, they were like, yeah, they said the same thing. You have to be totally honest about everything. Like anything you've had, anything that's not just like a traffic ticket, you have to be honest about it. And I, so I even revealed, I had gotten an argument with my, um, boyfriend when I was like 19 and we were on the highway and like, he had told me he hadn't gone out the night before. And then he apparently had, because when he like stopped at like a stoplight, this like bottles rolled out from under like the floorboard of his car. Like I was like, so you were oh, out. No. And like, I picked it up and I like threw it out the window and got like a, like a littering ticket. So I had to be like, <laughs> I, I disclosed like the littering ticket for this like dumb argument I got in when I was like stupid and like, you know, 19. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they like, but, honesty is so important in our profession that yes. if they don't care if you like did something I mean they obviously care but they it's more important to be honest yes. than have had those minor infractions you know and here we are and yeah and here we are <laughs> but we had to be honest about it so like one if he had done that and then immediately self-reported and said I made a mistake I am going to like do this counseling or what or something, you know, I think he would have maybe been suspended or put on like probation. Yeah. I don't think he would have lost his bar license forever, but the fact that he never self-reported and then was not a hundred percent forthcoming about it, they, they, it was clear reading the opinion that they were incredibly suspicious um, and that they were not convinced that it wouldn't at some point happen again. Well, yeah. So, um, I, when I was like researching the California bar process, which I'm sure is similar to New Jersey's, um, you could see like what discipline an attorney is given by the bar for misbehavior. Yeah. Like they'll do published like discipline opinions and that's like, yeah, you like, could, terrifying. like Google your attorney and mm -hmm. like figure out if they have any charges against them by the bar. But like, you know, like one guy got one year probation and 30 day suspension for failure to pay client funds promptly. Like that's right. not that bad. No. Like this other guy was, um, what was he? Two years probation for commingling client funds with personal monies. Again, that kind of sounds like what big Frank did. Yeah. So like he could have gotten away with two years probation possibly and still be practicing law today. What does he do now? So now he's like, honestly, I think Big Frank was like exhausted, like just from trying, like he almost seemed relieved, like this was like exhausting. So he buys yeah. and sells houses and then he's a contractor and he flips houses and he seems like much more comfortable doing that. I think from Big Frank is like, he's a smart guy and obviously his kids are super smart, but I think he was just like exhausted being an attorney and has like all of these irons in the fire and was just like, I'm just going to be a contractor and, you know. They don't have it. There's no ethics committee for contractors, clearly. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I mean, that's like, good for him. I guess that kind of, I mean, not good for him, but, you know, it kind of worked out. Like, yeah. I mean, he's he was able to land on his feet. Obviously, like, this is not something he wanted to happen. And it was, like, a big deal because somebody, had, I forget, like, what reunion it was, but they were, like, calling out Dolores. Well, you know, Big Frank got disbarred. And she's like, no, he didn't. And he didn't, mm. he didn't, he hadn't told her. He was like too embarrassed to tell her. And then at the next season of Jersey, like that was like one of the things in the first episode that came up was like Dolores giving it to Big Frank for not being honest about like, why you made me look like a fool. And like yeah. reading the whole disciplinary thing and like Big Frank's explanations, like I can see 
people are like, oh, why aren't they together? Why won't Dolores just marry Frank again? Obviously, he's sorry for the stuff he did and he loves her so much because like he looks at her and tears up and he's just a very big hearted guy. But I'm like, you know, I, I don't think I would want him like being able to sign my name on things. You know, it's like even if it's like he's not a malicious person, it's like I, I, I get why she doesn't want to be married to him. Like, yeah. I get it. Well, it's unfortunate he couldn't be honest with her either. I know. I mean, just be honest all the time. <laughs> it's just better. It's just better it's that just way. easier. Like, it's got to be exhausting. Yeah. And, like, you're, they're going to find out. Like, right. You know, or be honest about the fact that you don't have payroll for your gym. Like, what are you doing wrong that you don't have payroll for your gym? Like, you need, like, not being on. Like, that's not. The solution is not to take money from the trust account. That's not the solution. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like maybe you don't have the gym anymore. Yeah, comparing it to Tom yeah. Girardi. Yeah, that's what's so egregious. It's like this. So this is yeah. it makes an example of how this process should work, and how even though like Big Frank paid it back, he still got disbarred for life for from Jersey. So yeah. Well, okay, so I'm pulling all of this from the Los Angeles Times article that was widely shared, and it is just such an interesting read. Like, if you print it out, it's 32 pages long. It is a really in-depth, like, look into what went wrong here with the State Bar of California. I'm essentially just summarizing what was stated in that article, but, like, if you are just... at all interested in this, please go look it up. I'll post, I think I'll we can post, post it on the website. It's a really amazing long form article. We've talked about what is being alleged against Tom. He was sued at least 45 times for legal malpractice or misappropriation of client money throughout his time practicing in California. In at least 14 cases, attorneys alleged that he stiffed him out of fees. And like That's that egregious. That's is egregious. And I mean, clearly the State Bar of California kind of failed here because they didn't alert potential potential clients of his that there was a problem, you know? Like he he got to continue He should have practicing. been investigated. Like immediately right. like the first time that there was an issue, they should have said, let us audit your files. The problem is that like his reputation remained intact because nothing was really done. Like he could continue getting clients. He continued getting business. Like he really saw no, he got no punishment from doing all this stuff. At a really high level, I want to explain like how this works generally, because I think that'll explain or help put into context why it broke down for Tom. So like, what you can do if you think that there's some misconduct by an attorney, you can you can file a claim, uh, or excuse me, you can file a complaint. And I understand that with Frank's situation, the bar proactively did an audit, but like in situations where they don't proactively do an audit, you can file a complaint. And the State Bar of California is actually supposed to investigate every complaint. So it can take up to six months. And if the charges are warranted, the prosecutors then give the attorney notice that they intend to file charges and then can just settle the case. So that's kind of wonky. If it's not settled, they can present the case before the State Bar Court. So it's not even like a court, you know, like a the California, you know, it, it's, it's its own court, the State Bar Court. And the State Bar Court then recommends disciplinary action or dismissal. And if there's punishment that requires suspension or disbarment, like you said, it has to be approved by the Supreme Court. And in California, it's the Supreme Court of California. And like I said, like you can, if there is disciplinary action taken, it gets posted on the State Bar website. And that's supposed to be what alerts people that there's disciplinary action against the attorney that you're hiring. But Tom never really got any of this. So I think there were like 
the problem is that there are multiple steps where nothing can happen. And the problem I think here was at the investigation stage because Tom became really, really close with one of the state bar investigators. And they discuss it more in the article. This was just like an investigator. He claims under oath that he never actually was put in charge of any of the complaints against Tom. But still, like this guy, his name is Tom Layton. I'll just call him out. He was a bar investigator and he actually like worked his way up through the ranks of the state bar. What Tom would do is that he would, you know, take this there's two Toms. Again, there's always two names. I know. It's always... I'm talking like, about Tom Girardi. Yeah. Two Mauricios. Two Tom Toms. Tom Girardi. <laughs> yeah. Tom Girardi would take this bar investigator, Tom Layton, I'll just call him Layton, and treat him to like pricey meals at swinky restaurants and clubs. Tom Layton would go on Tom's private jet. He offered his legal services free to Layton. He hired his kids at his firm. Mm-hmm. Like this is all stuff. It's not... It's really not illegal, but I think Layton had a duty to like disclose it to the bar that he was hanging out with Tom in this way. It came out also that Layton, when he received like complaints or when he received cases at the state bar would send them to Tom's firm, which like, what the, what, what? Like he would get like heads up that there was these cases and just like, it was alleged that he was like getting kickbacks from any like case that he sent over to Tom Girardi. Other things that were suspicious. So- when there were complaints about Tom Girardi, he would send them. No, no, oh, no, 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 no. Okay. No, no, okay. no. Whenever okay. he heard of like a case that he thought Tom could work on, right. he would send okay. them to. Okay. Like, he would hear about cases in his professional role at the state bar, and he would send them to Tom Girardi and uh, get. So he's getting finders fees. Kickbacks. Yeah, finders okay. fees. Girardi also would like host extravagant parties. He would invite prominent politicians. I mean. Early on in his career in the 70s, he was a major Democratic Party contributor. Again, it's not illegal to contribute funds to a party, but it had some sway. He was really close to the governor in the 70s. And he like kept doing this. He would like sway these politicians or like pay for meals for them and like pay for these huge parties and invite them over. Oh, I mean, we even saw on the show, it was like, what was it? The sheriff of... Oh, the yeah, he sheriff? was, like, just, like, it showed him, like, just, like, having dinner with, like, the police chief or, like, like, they knew each other or something. Yeah, like, the L.A. County sheriff just, like, walked up and it was, like, like, they were old friends. Okay, and then, like, at some point, I do have to note, Tom was actually, he was actually sanctioned for the bar for one case. And it's actually a really interesting case. It was against, or he was representing the plantation workers of a dole plantation, like, the banana mm-hmm. plantation. And there was some sketchiness where he like the article explains it so well he like filed the case against the wrong entity on purpose and then like dole ended up losing automatically because of course they never got notice of it because he filed it against the wrong entity on purpose like he messed up the name of dole corporation whoa yeah Sounds like malpractice like yeah so he ended up actually being sanctioned for that so he does have like some disciplinary history he does yeah yeah But the investigation took two years. He was only sanctioned. I'm sure they had received a number of complaints before this happened. And someone from his firm, Girardi's firm, Howard Miller, was then elected president of the bar. So it's just like, yeah, like there were just... So anybody that was making complaints about his firm, that was just going into the garbage. Like, right. They're just not being investigated. Right. Wow. That's just, I mean... Yeah, I mean, I just, I just sped run through it but it's it's multiple things he got really really close to members of the bar he got really really close to politicians in california 
And the, the LA Times has source, have sources that say that he received a lot of complaints. Of course, we don't have evidence of them because you only know whether or not there was a complaint if there was discipline after, right. you know, right. which sucks. We can't like look it up. I mean, I guess that's fair because you can file, file a complaint for any reason, really. Oh, yeah, especially if you do criminal defense, especially if you're like you're a public defender or if you are even like a federal public defender, like if you do any type of criminal defense and then your client is mad at you and in jail even though like there was a videotape of them robbing the store or whatever. And it's like, how am I supposed to get you off for this? Like, <laughs> and, like they file a complaint against you. Like if you're a criminal defense attorney, you are going to have criminal clients who are going to complain because yeah. they have nothing else to do in their jail and you didn't do anything wrong. Right. Right. So, and I'm sure Tom got, received a number of false complaints. I'm sure many attorneys receive a number of false complaints and you don't, it's not want fair to have people those, to like, see, out there. Yeah, it's yeah. not fair to, right, exactly, put them on the website and then that sways everyone's opinion of you. But the problem was that nothing was really being done on them and he probably does, he definitely deserved disciplinary action. The state bar, like the fact that if someone from his firm that became a, the president of the, it is so agree. And like every, like there were so many people that were complicit in this. Like if you are a judge, like, and you know, but it's like, oh my God. It's so bad. It's so bad. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it, it's it's just so much worse. Like, if you read, just read the article. I can't get into it all here. It would take like four hours. So wait, what's the date everything. of the first, like the one, like the one discipline that he does have on his record? What's the date of it? I mean, his, his guy, like his main contact, that Leighton guy that like Tom hired at his place left in 2015. But then it kind of didn't matter because someone from his firm was hired as the president. That's just, and I mean, people knew, they knew this was going on. This is almost makes me think of, it's almost like, it's like, like, I mean, I don't know. It's not the same thing, but like Harvey Weinstein, where how it was like a running, like everybody knew that this was super, like he was doing terrible things and no one stopped him because he had so much power and influence, but like, it was like, everybody knew. Right. I feel like this is almost like at that same level where like the people in this legal community definitely knew there was like something going on but because he is so charming and then because he has so many connections and he can just call the governor up on the phone and it's like that nothing happened and it's like the people who gets who gets hurt like widows and orphans yeah i mean this howard miller guy who was hired to be president of the bar was going to represent him in this dole lawsuit (laughs) wow I don't know how that is okay. Oh, it was around 2008. So that's a long time ago. So like that, so now, I mean, I know I took the devil's advocate side and I was like, Erica didn't know. Like she didn't care. Like she didn't, doesn't see past the end of her own nose. Like she's not, like I wasn't defending her because I think she's a good person. I was taking devil's advocate and saying, Erica only cares about Erica. I don't think she was paying any attention to anything he was doing, but Netflix yeah. was, but the fact that it's going on for so long, it's like hard to, it's harder to, I don't know. Wait, but did they know each other back then? Well, so that was the other thing. So like in his divorce proceeding, there was stuff, I remember reading that. So like in Tom's first, I think first or second wife before Erica, there, obviously when you get divorced, you have, if it's, especially if it's contentious, there's, you have to like disclose your financial records and how much money you have. And like California is an equal property state. And so obviously she was like, you're going to pay, I get half. And then when he was disclosing, I remember this, like when he was disclosing his financial stuff in his divorce 
from like his first or second wife before Erica, that attorney was like, I have grave concerns about what's going on here. Like, mm-hmm. and even like tried to report, but that wasn't taken seriously because they thought it was somebody just being nasty in a divorce proceeding. So, oh, you mean his, his first divorce? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this article talks about that too. Like his, that wife is dead. And so is the judge in that case. Yeah. So you can't even, they can't even like interview them for this article. Wow. So yeah, so Big Frank, that's how this is supposed to work. Like that's, I mean, Big Frank isn't, wasn't supposed to do any of those things, but the fact that that happened and then even though it got paid back, that Big Frank wasn't totally honest about it and completely forthcoming and that it was discovered in a like random audit. Like you're telling me nobody well, maybe could have audited <laughs> Girardi's stuff. Like nobody, like this entire no one time. Wanted to. I know that's no the thing. Wanted nobody wanted to. Maybe if Frank had thrown some parties, he would still be an attorney. <laughs> no, I mean that that's the, like the level of, uh, effort Girardi put in to avoid capture, like, or like any oversight to avoid oversight right. is just, yeah. And like, like you want a free meal, I'll hook you up with reservations at this nice restaurant. And then some, like, that's, if you're not doing anything wrong, that's not bad. That's part of the way, like life is about relationships and connections. And that's what I tell our interns. That's what I tell people. I'm like, you can't just, you have to have connections and you have to have like relationships with people and that will help you more than anything. But that's fine. As long as you're not doing that to steal money. <laughs> like, right. Right. Like even my firm has like a business development budget right. where you can take people out to dinner and get it reimbursed if it's, you know, for the purpose of getting business for the firm. Right. It's not for the purpose of hiding your misdeeds. So. Wow. So again, I just think showing like explaining this with Big Frank and how that happened and how that went down and how like they had to like sit down, like just in those two little transactions, like totaling $25,000, how much effort had to go in to understand like, here's where the money was supposed to go. Here's where like it went out. And then even the fact that like, even Big Frank wrote down what he did with it. And when they were trying to like figure out where Girardi's money is gone, he has nothing. Like, they, they, he doesn't have any records. He doesn't know where it is. He doesn't know where it went. He, like, mm-hmm. literally is like, I don't know where the money went. Even Big Frank was like, yeah, yeah I wrote down that I was paying my gym's payroll. Like, right. you know? I know. It's like... Yeah, I mean, we'll see what ends up happening with Tom in the end. Oh, because we looked it up, he hasn't been disbarred yet. No. What was the status of that? Yeah. So I looked it up on the California website. I, I remembered hearing that the state bar had finally, finally filed disciplinary charges against him. Um, Okay. So Girardi was admitted to the bar of California in 1965. (laughs) There is nothing on his record. If you look up on the state bar of California until March 9th, 2021, when he's ordered inactive. And I think that's when he was like, oh, I have Alzheimer's. And so I can't function. And then disciplinary charges weren't filed until uh, March 30th, 2021. But presently, he's not eligible to practice law in California because he's been ordered inactive. But it's not the same it's as not disciplinary. Which it's not disbarment. We've seen no. We've seen um, people conflating the two, and it's it's, it's not. not there yet. No. So like they just he said that he was like not fit to practice, and so they ordered him inactive on that basis. I'm presuming, mm-hmm. and then there were disciplinary charges filed on the 30th, but of March in 2021. But there's been no actions taken and no formal discipline. 
Like none of that's because mm-hmm. you would they would still ha- they can't just like read the newspaper and read the statements. You would still go through the formal proceedings. So yeah, they would yeah, file the charges, respond. Um, yeah. which are, the charges have been filed, and then he like would file. It's supposed to file a response, and then you have to do like the actual procedure, and then they would take like the you know file discipline, and then take whatever administrative action like permanently barring him from practicing mm-hmm. law. But none 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 of that's been done. There's just been charges yeah. filed. But we'll follow, follow closely to that, like his bankruptcy proceedings and then the proceedings, the action in Chicago against him. Yeah. With, um, yeah. You know. Yeah, because that, that Chicago this. judge referred it to federal prosecutors, was literally like U.S. attorneys. Um, yeah. I need you to come over here and look at this. Yeah, but it's going to be a while because the bankruptcy has to go first. Yeah. And then. I think that might actually be a good, a good, I wouldn't mind like doing an episode on that, um, maybe even like a mini episode, but talking about like, if you're married and someone gives you a gift, is that like, and then they get in trouble. Like, is that, you know, what is that? How does that work? Or if you are dating someone wealthy and they buy you like a Bentley and then they are in get, have criminal charges against them. Do you get to keep that Bentley? (laughs) Like, I think that might be, because like we see these big gifts being given on real housewives all the time. And it's always kind of like, Okay. Yeah, I think it's very state dependent too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that would be a good. That might be an interesting one. one to talk about. Um, well, I mean, we know Erica's defense has been that everything that she received from Tom was a gift. Yeah. So, so thank you, fan, the by the way, that episode. asked this question. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. We we take them seriously and we dig in. But um, we did a poll for our next episode on our Instagram account, and the next one the people want is Luann's arrest and then the lawsuit filed against her by her children and ex-husband when she was trying to sell her Hamptons house. So that'll be our next episode that we dive into. That is going to be good. It says criminal and civil and like involves, you know, the best franchise. (laughs) And privilege. Yeah. Yeah. And privilege. (laughs) Lots of white lady privilege. (laughs) Lots of white lady privilege in that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So thank you as always, for listening. Yes. And I hope you enjoyed what you learned about riparian water rights in <laughs> the state of New Jersey. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Bravo Docket is part of the Acast Creator Network. <laughs> 